So this summer, we are coming to terms with the depth and the breadth of God's love for each one of us. And, and guess what? We are finding that his love for each one of us is boundless. There are no boundaries. Today, uh, we're going to take a look at this idea that God's love for you is joyful. God's love for you is joyful. Now, depending on your view of God, this lesson could be, I would suggest, unnecessary, but however difficult hurdle for you to cross. But what I mean by that is that for some of us, some of us who struggle with self-esteem issues or are hard on ourselves or self-deprecating, have somehow arrived at a place where we don't think that highly of ourselves. For us to be able to see God as a God who delights in us might be a bridge that's too far. We might be able to accept that, that God's love for us ensures his commitment. We, we get that he's committed. He's demonstrated that time and time again, that he's committed to us. But we can only imagine that his commitment to us must be a challenge in endurance. A challenge in long suffering. An ongoing frustration because he knows us well. But I want you to know this morning that to hold that view is not scriptural. It's to deny what scripture presents as a God who doesn't just forbear with us, but one who delights in us, one who rejoices over us. He enjoys us. We're the apple of his eye. Let's take a look at Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I was thinking yesterday when we were at the Roll Bay Fiddle Festival and the joy that we saw and witnessed, we witnessed there and the music that just was flowing and I thought to myself, God must look down on that and just be tickled pink and say, I created that. He delights in us. He's overjoyed with us. He rejoices 
over us. Now the skeptics, the hardcore like myself, they're going to say, when they hear that scripture from Zephaniah, oh, there's some contextual explanation for that. Something's got to explain away why God wrote or had those words written. I will rejoice over you with singing. And so to that end, I want to give you some context for Zephaniah today. And we're going to just do it in the form of a video because they can do it a lot better than I could in a short five-minute span. Um, they're going to give you, this video is going to give you uh, a very clean and concise idea about the book of Zephaniah where those rich words are taken. So we can see that God is exasperated with his people. The northern kingdom that split away from the southern kingdom of Israel has already been totally annihilated and destroyed, and, and the people taken into captivity by the Assyrians. But Zephaniah comes along and says, this is what the Lord is saying. This same thing is going to happen to you in the south because in Judah and Jerusalem because you're just not following God's ways. You're not doing what God has asked you to do. You're being disobedient. You're following after false gods and all kinds of uh, immorality and, and, and wickedness. And God's judgment did come in 586, 87 BC. The Babylonians did come and destroyed Jerusalem, and took the finest and the best back to Babylon for 70 years, a period of, of captivity. But these words, he'll take delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing, are found during that period of judgment, in that, that, that prophecy of judgment. How can this possibly be? Well, these words are spoken to those who acknowledge and recognize their disobedience, their pride, and their rejection of God, and humbly come before their holy God asking for forgiveness. This is why Zephaniah in chapter 3 says this, but I leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. These are the ones that the Lord is going to sing over and rejoice in. The ones who have humbled themselves and recognized their wayward ways. You, you need to hear this <laughs> this morning that the qualification for the Lord to love you in a rejoicing, joyful way, the qualification for him to sing over you with joy is humility, is brokenness, is contriteness. It's recognizing our need for a Savior. The Lord is not saying in these words 
that I will delight in you. I will rejoice over you in singing because you're delightful. You're wonderful. You're precious. You're lovable. You're gifted. You're attractive. You're pleasant. You're, you're confident. You're mature. You're perfect. No. He's saying, I sing over you with rejoicing because you recognize that you need me. And so if you are one of these people, like myself, who struggle with the love of God, guess what? You actually are in a favored position because you already get it. You get that you need something. You get that you are not that lovable. You get that you mess up. You screw up. You get that. Kind of got a leg up on those that are all together. You see, those who think like this, those who at least come to that place where they understand their need and they humble themselves, they are, in Jesus' words, the lost coins of the world. They are the lost sheep of the world. They are the prodigals of the world. If you go to Luke 15, Jesus gives three analogies, three stories. He's talking about what he's like and what reality is like, what the kingdom of God is. And he talks about the person who loses a coin but then seeks for it and finds it. The, the, the shepherd who loses a sheep and, and, and leaves the others and goes and finds the sheep. The father who's been rejected by a wayward son whose son eventually comes back, the prodigal. And, and look, what, look what is said about those people. The lost sheep. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me. I've lost, I found my lost coin. And then the, the father says to the older son who's bitter about the rejoicing, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found it. And, and he, he threw a party. He rejoiced. You see, God's delight in you is not based on what you have done. It's based on what he has done for you and how you recognize your need for it. So now I'm going to give you the darkest side, the insidiousness of poor self-esteem. The idea that you're a screw-up or that you don't really matter or you're not like those people that you don't measure up. This is the darkest side of it. You struggle with God's love, accepting it for yourself. 
and you respond to what I've said so far by saying, okay, I can accept that. I can accept that God rejoices when I humble myself, but it'll wear off because he'll recognize that I'm just going to keep messing up. He'll tire of it. Actually, he'll tire of me because I'm going to keep messing up. So, yeah, I get, I get the rejoicing. I get the delighting. I get that singing stuff that God's happy that I turn to him. But in fact, you know, it's going to be short-lived because he'll realize how messed up I am. Sick, isn't it? Satan is, has come to steal and to kill and destroy. And he is the author of that garbage in your head. He wants to keep you subject to that type of thinking. When scripture in itself presents a very different picture of a God who rejoices over you. Thoroughly, completely, forever. Not just when you get it right. I want to present another analogy about God rejoicing. Scripture tells us that one of each one of us who have humbled ourselves and who recognize our need for a, a mighty warrior to save us, who accept God's wonderful gift of salvation, each one of us becomes part of this thing known as the church. And guess what? The church is the bride of Christ. If you have humbled yourself and recognized your need for Christ and have come to Christ and he has rejoiced over you and he's delighting in you, guess what? That doesn't end because you are the bride of Christ. What bridegroom does not rejoice continually over their bride? We find in Scripture that during this church age that we live in right now, before Christ returns, that the bride is being ready, is being prepared, is under construction, <laughs> in preparation for the consummation of the love of God. John, when he wrote Revelations, called it the wedding of the Lamb. And he, for, he saw in the future the wedding of the Lamb where, where the bride would be finally and completely for all time with her bridegroom. That's why he writes in Revelations 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. There's something important for us to see here in those words. Yes, the bride gets ready. But the notion goes further than that, and that is that 
the bridegroom also readies the bride. And the notion here is those words, fine linen, bright and clean, were given her to wear. He has covered his bride in purity, in cleansliness, in beauty. And he's looking forward to that day. And so we are in this period of preparation. We're in a process of sanctification. We're moving in that direction. And as long as that is your heart's desire, is to move in that direction, I want you to know that he delights over you. He sees you as though you are clothed in Christ. He sees you as his beautiful bride, and he looks forward to that day, the wedding day, the wedding day, the wedding of the Lamb. This is why in Hebrews the writer says, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him. That's the wedding day. Guess what? Really, quite frankly, you're the joy. You are the joy set before him. He endured the cross because he loves you. He endured the cross with a sense of joy that he would one day be with his bride the church, which consists of those who have humbled themselves, recognized that they need a Savior. Not because they're beautiful. Not because they got it all together. Not because they're perfect. Not because they're comfortable. Not because they're pleasant. Not because they're bright. Not because of all the things that we put down into, but because we recognize that we need a Savior. And our beauty comes from Him. In fact, Scripture says that all, all of our righteous acts, even you know the stuff that we do, that is our best attempt. Compare it, compare it to the fine linen, bright and clean, that was given the bride to wear. He says that your acts of righteousness are filthy rags. And so we have this idea that we are clothed in his beauty and he delights over us. I just want to close with this one statement. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah said that to Israel as Israel came back to God. As Israel, uh, Judah in fact to be specific, came back to Jerusalem after being in captivity in Babylon after they've been destroyed. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So what does that mean, the joy of the Lord? We often think of it as something that he gives us. God gives us joy. And that gives us strength to endure and to carry on. But there's another side to that is this. 
It's a quality. It's a characteristic of God. God is a joyful God. He's not a grumpy old miserly God who's ticked off that you don't measure up and you keep screwing up. He takes joy in you, and yeah, you mess up. And sure, just like a parent, you know, kind of saddens him, but quite frankly, the, over, the overarching theme is he looks at you with joy. He delights in you. He sings over you with joy. And so uh, this guy I reference quite a bit, a guy called Deffenbaugh, who writes for Bible.org, says, I always thought of the joy referred to here as the joy which God gives. And so it is. It is true. I now realize this does not say quite enough, though. It is also the joy which God possesses and experiences. God gives us joy because he is joyful. He is the source of joy, just as he is the source of love, of truth, of mercy, and so on. Joy is both a description of God and a description of what he gives. And so we have to be very clear as to who our God is. And for some of us, it is a challenge to get to that place where we can accept that, accept that God is a God who loves us, a God who rejoices over us, who delights in us. But that's what Scripture says. And anything else is a lie. Our part is to simply say, wow, I need you, Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you demonstrated your character throughout time. And you are so consistent in your love. And yes, there are times when judgment comes because you are holy. But even in judgment, it's, it's a grief to you. It's not something that you rejoice in. You rejoice in those who avoid the judgment, who come to their senses and bow their knees and submit themselves. And so, Lord, I thank you that we have heard that message today. That you take joy in us and you delight in us. Lord, Lord, I pray for those who struggle with this, that this would be a breakthrough for them. It would, help, it would help them to understand that as long as they are seeking to submit to you, seeking to humble themselves, that they can know your favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.